Welcome to Healthy Hawkesbury, a podcast for people living in our area, brought to you by the leading health experts servicing our community. Our program is brought to you by St John of God Healthcare's Hawkesbury District Health Service, your local hospital positioned in the heart of the magnificent Hawkesbury Valley. Health professionals in conversation, talking about what matters most to our community. We cover all range of topics, from the latest innovations, fascinating histories of conditions and treatments, to the ailments that are particularly prevalent in the Hawkesbury. With a panel of health experts, we'll explore everything health-related from advice, insights and access. Brought to you by our community, for our community. The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature only. It should not be relied on to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease or as a substitute for the specific advice of a health professional. Hawkesbury District Health Service does not assume liability for the accuracy or completeness of the information. If you are seeking advice relevant to your particular circumstances or are feeling unwell, you should seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any surgical or invasive procedure carries risks. Before proceeding, you should seek a second opinion from an appropriately qualified health practitioner. Welcome to Healthy Hawkesbury. Today we're going to be talking about chronic pain. I'm local GP Dr Rory Webb. I've worked in the Hawkesbury since 2006. I've got a particular interest in rural health, having worked in regional communities for much of my career. I'm also particularly interested in pain management, as it's an issue that I see a lot in my practice, and I see a lot of patients who have to live for months and years with pain that isn't going to go away. Why is chronic pain such an important issue to explore? Well, according to Chronic Pain Australia, chronic pain is one of the world's fastest-growing medical conditions and is a significant issue affecting Australians, with over 3.2 million Australians of all ages living with this invisible illness. Chronic pain imposes a significant burden of disease on the community, with one in five people reporting to experience chronic or persistent pain. While Hawkesbury is technically on the urban fringe, in some regards, we're more like a regional community and people who live outside urban areas are 23% more likely to experience back pain, with higher percentages in the 55 to 64 age group. People living regionally are also 30% more likely to have a long-term health condition due to an injury. A 2019 Pain Australia submission to the federal government noted pain is the leading cause of early retirement, at 40% in fact and is strongly associated with markers of social disadvantage. This is acutely felt in rural and remote communities where job opportunities are limited. Consumption of prescription opioids in regional areas is also much greater than in capital cities, as found in a 2017 analysis of 54 wastewater sites by the Australian Criminal Intelligence Commission. The Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare revealed opioid medications were being prescribed in some regional areas at 10 times the rate of other areas, and they recommend proactive action on pain and opioid management in rural areas. Poor access to pain management services delay treatment, increase levels of disability, and reduce capacity to return to work while impacting quality of life. 
That's why it's imperative that health professionals in the Hawkesbury take a multidisciplinary approach to chronic pain to ensure our residents get access to the best possible support. When we talk about a multidisciplinary approach to pain management, it means we're addressing the physical, psychological, and environmental or social factors that contribute to the pain experience. It's important that care is also coordinated. Pain is one common reason patients see GPs. The complex nature of chronic pain can make assessment and management challenging for us, but it's a key part of what we do. To ensure we take a 360-degree approach to the issue of pain management, we're joined today by physician Dr. Michael Noel, Supportive and Palliative Care at Nepean Blue Mountains Local Health District, and physiotherapist Alex Shaw, facilitator at the Hawkesbury District Health Services Pain Clinic. Gentlemen, welcome, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Rory. It's nice to be here. Thanks, Rory. Uh, it's great to be here, yeah. Before we start our conversation, I think it's important to provide our listeners with some context about the role of the GP in chronic pain management, because the first place the majority of people suffering with chronic pain go to medically access pain management is a GP practice. As a GP, my role in the management of chronic pain is very important. The GP is often involved early in the development of a chronic pain condition. The patient may well have tried simple painkillers such as paracetamol or ibuprofen. They may have visited a remedial massage therapist or a physiotherapist or a chiropractor. Often when they consult with the GP, they have a poor understanding of the cause of the pain and the best way to manage it. There is often a lot of anxiety associated with the pain as a result. They'll often jump to frightening conclusions about the implications of the pain and what it means for them. Their activity levels will have often dropped dramatically as they believe that anything that increases their pain will result in further damage, and that's obviously bad. Thus, one of the important roles for the GP is to educate the patient about the cause of the pain, in particular outlining a treatment strategy and at the same time encouraging the patient to be as physically active as they can be. The GP is responsible for guiding the patient in the appropriate use of analgesia, the appropriate engagement with physical therapies, and also with psychological support. Of course, one of the dangers with chronic pain is that the patient develops a dependence on narcotic analgesics, which provide only modest relief of pain and where the risks outweigh the benefits. It is a GP's responsibility to ensure appropriate use of analgesia in this context. To provide an example of someone with chronic pain who visits the GP, imagine someone with osteoarthritis of the shoulders, hips, knees, spine, this patient has trouble with mobility and often has trouble with sleep. Whilst in some of these cases, surgery may help, often the patient simply has to learn to live with the chronic disabling pain. Often, however, we need to draw on expertise from our specialist colleagues, physiotherapists, psychologists, as well as services like pain clinics. To explore pain management in our region and delve into each of our respective roles across a patient's pain management journey, I'd like to now bring my guests into the discussion. Can I start with you, Dr. Michael Noel? Firstly, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how long, in fact, you've worked in the Hawkesbury? Sure, Rory. I've been a medical practitioner for over 50 years and have provided palliative care services to residents of the Hawkesbury region since the middle 1990s. I moved from Penrith to live in the Hawkesbury region in 2005 and remained in full-time palliative care practice based at Nepean Hospital in Penrith. 
Dr. Noel, what is the difference between pain and chronic pain? Well, acute pain comes on suddenly and can be mild, moderate or severe. It may be present for just a brief time or can last for days or weeks. Pain that lasts for more than three months is likely to have become a chronic or persistent pain. Cancer-related pain is a funny sort of a mixture of acute pain and chronic pain and usually responds to being treated as an acute pain, but not always. So why does chronic pain occur? Chronic pain can occur after a mild or even trivial injury, such as a back sprain or a pulled muscle, or it can occur after a moderate or severe injury. Sometimes chronic pain develops after nerves become damaged. This damage may be a direct physical damage to the nerve or a response the nerve makes to persistent pain impulses. Nerve damage can amplify the pain, and in these cases, treating the underlying injury may not resolve the chronic pain. Now, we know that chronic pain is managed differently from acute pain. Uh, The evidence is clear that patients with chronic pain benefit from education and self-management strategies. Why is this? Many people experience chronic pain, but are still able to participate in society. Problems start when a person becomes overwhelmed and can no longer function at work, play, or within their own family. What lies behind that tipping point is what makes chronic pain different. The first thing I think to understand is the concept of suffering. Suffering has physical components such as pain and breathlessness, psychological components such as anxiety, depression, fear, social components such as worry about family, money, loss of dignity, and sometimes existential components such as questions like, why me? What have I done to deserve this? Why would a loving God put this suffering on his loyal subject? So suffering is a soup of physical, psychological, social and existential issues. Many patients suffering with chronic pain exhibit many of these complex superfactors, but don't realise it. They know they're suffering, we know it too. They know they have pain, and sometimes they blame the pain for their suffering, not realising their other problems are also contributing. To treat chronic pain successfully, we need to identify and address all the physical, psychological, social and existential parts of their suffering. We need to explore what the pain is stopping them from doing and make that debility the focus of our attention. That is why we need a multidisciplinary team, including physician, nurse, physiotherapist and occupational therapist for the physical side of suffering, clinical psychologist or a psychiatrist for the psychological side of suffering, social worker for the social part of suffering, and all of us for the existential parts of their suffering. Painkillers alone often don't work, or if they do relieve the pain somewhat, they become ineffective because they don't address the reasons why people become overwhelmed by their suffering. Dr. Noel, in your opinion, why is chronic pain on the increase? I believe that our population as a whole is experiencing more psychological and social stressors and that these stressors, some of which I've already mentioned, escalate the experience of pain. 
There is also a distinct difference how we manage moderate chronic pain compared to how we approach severe chronic pain. Uh, Alex, I'd like to bring you into the discussion. You're a physiotherapist and also the facilitator of the Hawkesbury District Health Services Pain Clinic. Firstly, uh, tell me how long you have worked in the Hawkesbury and what drew you into the field of pain management. Thanks, Rory. Uh, yeah, I've been working in the Hawkesbury here for over four years now. Um, initially, I was, I guess I was drawn into the field when I was working uh, in a private practice and I found that a lot of the traditional physiotherapy techniques like massage and exercise and mobilization, all the sorts of normal things that physios do, didn't quite have 100% success rates like I'd expected or hoped for them to. And so it was kind of in search of, well, how can I really help my patients, you know, get back to doing what they want to do better and have more satisfying outcomes that I kind of started to look into uh, this chronic pain sort of field, which is now what I've realized is a really large and really exciting new um, part of medicine. And we're discovering some really exciting new ways we can treat these people and give these people hope more than what they may have experienced before with um, like I experienced on the other side of things like some sort of failed manual therapy or failed massage or failed physio or failed chiropractic or failed surgery or other things like that. We've really discovered that there's a lot more to it and it's really exciting. Alex, you coordinate the pain management clinic here at the Hawkesbury. Can you tell us about the program? So our program is a uh, six-week program. At the moment, we're running it twice per week and you meet with us uh, an hour and a half each session. So over the six weeks, we get about sort of 15 to 18 hours to help uh, work with you and then we check up again a month down the track and then three months down the track. So our program is um, it's a multidisciplinary program as Dr. Noel put it beautifully. It's a smaller program but we have a physiotherapist and we have a, a social worker as part of that program. So that when people talk about uh, pain programs or pain clinics, there are a couple of different types and people sometimes get them confused. There is a, a type of pain program that's like a, a, a more of a specialist clinic, which will involve like a, a, a doctor who specializes in pain management. And so among other things, that one of their priorities will be to help with the medical side, the medicine in prescribing, but also to refer along to psychology and, um, and you know, indeed out to physios and that sort of thing. The other type, which is what we run, is, is what we call a, a multidisciplinary uh, pain management program, quite a mouthful, <laughs> but it involves all of the other, I guess, disciplines of healthcare, which, which might include a, a dietitian, physios, social workers, psychologists, occupational therapists, and we look at all of the other factors that contribute to the pain we don't deal with prescribing medication or changing medications. That's more for the specialists and for the GPs to do, but we look at everything else. Uh, so Alex, that is a really helpful explanation of what the Hawkesbury Pain Clinic offers, uh, particularly to help us to distinguish uh, between a pain clinic, which may be directed by a pain specialist, uh, compared with a pain clinic, which is looking at the non-medication side of things, if you wish. Why does a, a multidisciplinary, so physio and social work and a number of these different professions working together, uh, why is that helpful for chronic pain? Well, because chronic pain is, is different from acute pain, chronic pain is also known as, as persisting pain, 
When pain persists longer than we would expect, there can be, as Dr. Noel put it so well, there can be other things, or there are other things that influence that pain. Um, you know, after a, a mild back strain or sprain, we know that, you know, 80 to 90% of people uh, recover fine, but, you know, 10 to 20% can have ongoing pain or persisting pain. Well, why is that? Is that necessarily because they didn't heal as well as the other 80 to 90%? Well, what we're discovering now is that actually it's not just maybe about the the injury not healing well. There are other things that affect and other things that can propagate or cause that pain to persist. And some of those things include, uh, as Dr. Noel put it, you know, thoughts and feelings about the pain, anxieties, uh, the way you move now, whether you change your movement, a whole bunch of different things. Even diet can influence, uh, to a certain extent, persisting pain. So when pain doesn't settle like we expect, and particularly for people who have tried seeing a physiotherapist or a chiropractor, they've tried one or two things or maybe even had a surgery and it still hasn't fixed the cause or hasn't fixed the source of the pain, what we need to do is look at all of these other things that are contributing to the pain, particularly with the way we treat with our medical model. We often only look at the physical x-ray or the physical cause that we can see and we can tell as a source of the pain. But and that's very true for acute pain, but with persisting pain, there's more to the story. It's not just about the issue in the tissue. We need to get other people involved working together, other disciplines in this multidisciplinary clinic and address some of these other before uh, not so well known about contributors to the pain. And that's what we know from the science and from the evidence that actually can help these people with persisting pain to move on with their life and, and improve their pain. So that's kind of what we do in our clinic. It's everybody else looking at all the other things that impact your pain that you probably never thought of or never believed could impact your pain. Alex, that is uh, really helpful from a GP's perspective, uh, particularly when we're preparing our patients with what to expect uh, from a particular intervention or a particular program. Uh, and so I'm thinking to myself, when I refer someone to a pain management clinic, uh, my patient is going to think, beauty, next week I won't have any pain. And so I need to prepare them that when I refer them to your clinic, it's not really so much about taking away the pain as to how to more effectively live with the pain. So Alex, there are a couple of other questions I would like to ask. Uh, the first one is making the distinction between severe chronic pain and moderate chronic pain. Can you help us with that? Yeah, I guess it is a, a, a bit of a tricky one. The difference between severe pain and moderate pain is is kind of how people are, uh, you know, maybe put, put in a box or how we measure it um, often on a sheet of paper or, or the infamous zero to 10 pain score. But there are many other things that we use to measure pain. Uh, not just in terms of the actual amount of pain you experience on a day-to-day -day basis. We also measure the, the extent that it affects your mood, uh, how it impacts your daily activities, uh, your hobbies, your relationships, your goals in life. We look at how it impacts your thinking and sort of the beliefs around the pain and what that means to you, what that means you can or can't do or, or the feelings and the thoughts and beliefs you ha have about the best way to cope with it. Um, because all of these things together kind of contribute to how much 
as Dr. Noel put it before, how much the person or yourself suffer uh, from, from the pain. And I guess when I distinguish between mild and, and moderate and severe pain, yes, we can look at it on a zero to 10 scale. And if there's a high level of suffering, it's likely that it's affecting a lot of different areas of their life. For someone that has high amounts of suffering, for someone that has high amounts of distress and the impact of the pain, it's likely going to have to be a bigger solution. So I guess the distinction between, for me, moderate and severe pain is, is often around the amount of overall suffering and, and the amount of different areas that we're going to need to help that person in order to get back on track. Thank you, Alex. I'm thinking this through from the GP's perspective and you've really helped us uh, to understand uh, the psychological approach of the clinic. Now, as I think about selling this program to my patient, my patient is going to want to know what to expect in a practical sense when they arrive at the pain management program. And so I'm going to put it to you, what practical tips can you provide people with chronic pain? Are there any exercise programs, psychological management techniques that will help people to manage the pain? Yeah, that's a really good question, Rory. And this is one of the really exciting and really good things that we can we can talk about is that because of we've just explained there are so many different things that can affect pain you know um and and cause it to persist equally there are so many good things we can do to help you improve and help you be able to do more it's it's really exciting it's not that you just need to exercise to have a positive benefit on your pain you know it's really good news that a psychologist or a social worker or a dietitian can also give you something helpful that can also have a positive benefit on your pain so there are lots of things that you can do, which is what I really want people to, to have a bit of a hope. Practically, yes, I'm a physiotherapist, so I should speak in terms of exercise, but our program, we, we do much more than just exercise. However, exercise is a very important part of that program, but exercise is really important for the human body. I was just reading an article the other day about um, muscles. They're not just things that bend back and forth and lift stuff they actually secretory organs and they were saying when you exercise the muscle actually releases hormones into your body which help with inflammation and and so what we know is that your body needs to be moved it needs to be exercised to to help it actually um, maintain itself if i mean i'd see a lot of people coming out of casts after fractures but once you come out because you haven't moved that wrist or that joint man it feels stiff and it feels really sore to get going it's because it hasn't had the movement that would help the muscles and the other things now it's necessary to keep it in a cast in that position because you know it's important that our bones heal when they're broken but in terms of persisting pain often people don't feel confident or are worried about exercising and moving and in a similar situation if you if you're not moving that well for a long period of time things get stiff and then they get more sore and just like the person in the cast with this comes out and moves their wrist for the first time oh man it's sore it's stiff well it can be just the same if you've been able to exercise and move well after having a long time of persisting pain so 
from my perspective, one of the things that we would do um, is help people get moving again, get exercising, uh, get their muscles going, get their joints going, even stretching just to help sort of relieve some of the tension through that joint can have a really positive benefit. So Alex, I'm thinking about my day at work and I'm looking at the list of patients that are booked in to see me and I can see that there are two or three people that are coming in uh, for their monthly prescription for narcotic analgesics and I'm thinking who could I refer to the Hawkesbury Chronic Pain Clinic? Uh, so Alex, what is the typical profile of a patient who visits your clinic? The typical profile is very broad. It's someone that has had persisting pain. We typically say longer than six months or longer than what we would expect uh, for that injury to heal and that they want to do something about it. They want to learn to live, to manage the pain better. So I guess the pain needs to be affecting um, their daily life in different ways and the pain is restricting them for doing certain things. So the typical patient that comes in has had pain that's more than six months or six months or so um, and it is, it's restricting them from doing those things they want to do. And they'll come in and we'll, we'll go, okay, do we want to learn how to manage this pain better so that you can do more of those things you want to do? If they say yes, that is the perfect patient for this program. Within that, we see a lot of variation, you know, neuropathic sorts of pain from nerve damage, lots of arthritis, people that have had surgeries that uh, haven't had the outcomes that they were hoping for after the surgery and they still have persisting pain, they, they come through. All different joints, backs, hips, knees, necks, migraines. This program works for migraines, as uh, certain types of migraines as well. It's been shown in the evidence. So I guess the injury... There's no real typical person in terms of the injury. It's more just that the pain has persisted. It's affecting your life. It's stopping you from doing things that you want to be able to do. And you want to learn how to do something to actually improve that and get that better and to be able to do more. That's all. And Alex, are there some patients that are really not suitable in terms of referral to your program? Yeah, so our program is, in terms of multidisciplinary pain management service, it's uh, it's smaller. We're a smaller hospital here in the Hawkesbury, so we don't necessarily have as, as much resource as some of the larger hospitals. So I guess that's where the limitation is on our program, where in total it's only really 18 hours, okay? If you are suffering a lot with this problem and it's imposing limitations on many, many different aspects of your life, sometimes you need more help than we can offer. You'll need more follow-up and, and more therapy sessions and more expertise uh, than our smaller program can offer. So with very severe symptoms, persisting pain, we sometimes say, look, it's best if you go along to uh, another hospital that may be a bit further away but may be better suited to help you. Having said that, it's not that we can't, help and it's not that we don't take people in a case-to-case basis that have more severe pain. Thank you Alex. You have spoken to what a patient might expect from the physiotherapist within this program. Could you also talk us through some of the other aspects of what a patient might experience uh, when they go through this program? Yeah certainly. So in our program we kind of teach about 13 different tools and techniques but we have a social worker that 
um, is involved in our program as well and she presents as well. And we have a, a very good resource that we have based the program off, which is actually written by some of the pain specialists at Royal North Shore Hospital who have been doing this stuff for, for decades. So out of that resource, we've come up with about 13 different tools that we help people learn. So they include but aren't limited to, of course, exercise and, and gradually pacing up your activities or learning to pace them down and space them out a little bit as may be needed. Relaxation is a big part of it, learning how to relax. We talk and we teach people how to do this technique called pain desensitization. We can actually help you reduce how horrible you feel when the pain, when the symptoms are there. When it feels less horrible, the pain itself, the, the number of the pain can also, with time and practice, be reduced as well. Um, we also give people more broader ideas and skills about how to manage um, relationship challenges because everybody with persisting pain knows it can infect their relationships at time when they might feel a bit more edgy. People tend to be more likely to either withdraw or so relationship and communication strategies are a really important part of what we teach. We teach about flare-ups planning, what to do when you're having a really tough day and how to get through it without falling apart. We talk about problems, things that pop up along the way how can we problem solve effectively? And we also talk about how to set goals effectively, you know, how to actually have an aim that you want to get back to, something you want to do again or something you want to uh, be able to do more of and actually achieve that without always shooting for something that you can never achieve. Alex, that is really helpful because you, in what you've explained to us, you've covered uh, what a physiotherapist does within the context of this program, but you've also explained in a really nice way uh, the elements of cognitive behavioral therapy and uh, you've really touched on the importance of self-management strategies uh, in the treatment of chronic pain. Uh, so perhaps if we could um, move to that all-important question, how do patients access this clinic? What sort of referral pathway is there? Does it need to be referred by a GP? Yes, it does, um, but people can feel free to inquire before and we can get the process starting. But of course, we need to make sure that your GP is one aware and is too happy and thinks you're safe enough to come and uh, be part of our program because we will be doing some exercise as a part of it. So you can call up to inquire or you can get your GP to uh, write a referral and then fax it across to the Windsor Hospital here. And finally, Alex, I'm wondering if you could actually give us an example of a patient who has been through the program and who has responded well. Yeah, there was, uh, there's been lots. Uh, one that jumps to mind is there was one lady when I first met her when she was actually admitted to hospital and uh, she was struggling to walk 150 metres because of the severeness of the symptoms of her pain and it was affecting pretty much every aspect of her life and, and the very hospital admission um, that she was she was in hospital because she her pain was so bad that she couldn't manage at home she couldn't cope she couldn't look after herself at home and um, she came along to the program and by the end of the program which you know this was pretty outstanding improvement she was walking a couple of kilometers um, it was it was amazing to see and I guess where it all started for her was understanding that there was more to the pain than just to the injury 
that had taken place. For her, it was it was she'd been recovering from a surgery, and the surgery is well, a couple of surgeries, and the surgery itself was quite a traumatic experience for her, and. Uh, that all played into this persisting pain. The pain had persisted beyond the normal healing time for that surgery and she had become, in fact, more more impaired and able to do less after the surgery as time went on rather than what we would normally expect as people just to get better and get back on their life. She could do less and less and the pain became more and more. So it's not that she improved on her own. She improved... When she came to the program, she started to learn some of these other techniques and learn that pain meant something different and she should do something different about it than what she had been doing. Thank you, Alex. Now, thankfully, in the majority of cases, my patients are successfully treated via allied health, medical, surgical interventions. Uh, They go on to make a, a complete recovery uh, in relation to their pain injury, but there are occasions when I may need to refer a patient on to a pain management specialist. And uh, Dr. Noel, this uh, brings me to some further questions for yourself. Uh, so that whilst I understand that your role is much broader than pain management, uh, Dr. Noel, pain management is a critical component of what you do. So could you tell our listeners, how do we treat more severe chronic pain medically? Thanks, Rory. Well, look, I think the first thing to do is to learn what investigations have already revealed, what diagnoses have been made, and what things the patient has already tried uh, to uh, help the pain. Then we need to talk to the patient about their need to be a part of the solution. The patient will need to put in a lot of work to improve their pain. In return, we will stand by them. So that's an important thing. We won't abandon them. This contract is an important part of the process. Then we identify the physical, psychological, social and existential contributors to their suffering and we'll try to agree on a functional goal. So uh, this is really what Alex has been talking about too. And that goal might be improving sleep, able to transfer lying to standing independently, taking the grandchildren to the park. Um, It could be anything. And any medications that we might prescribe should be aimed at improving function. This is this goal setting that Alex was talking about. It's really important in managing chronic pain. The goal should not be to get rid of the pain. They've already tried a million things even before we see them. Uh, It's very rare that we sort of uh, get a person uh, at the very beginning. It's great if we do, but uh, it's very rare. So drugs that we use should be aimed at improving function and addressing psychological issues such as depression. So Dr. Noel, what medications can you offer uh, that would address these categories you've outlined? Well, of course, I suppose we've got to mention strong painkillers, opiates. But the reason for trying an opiate is to improve function, not necessarily to relieve the pain. In fact, it is not possible to eradicate chronic pain with painkillers. And I think that's one thing that um, we've learned over the years. Other medications include uh, medications like uh, antidepressants, which help with uh, depression, but also help with pain. 
medications for epilepsy, which can help with nerve pain, such as sciatica or shingles pain. And if the patient is already receiving strong painkiller medication, but the pain is worsening, apart from uh, uh, referring uh, the patient to a a pain service uh, like Alex's, we could consider rotating to a different opiate. Now, why would we do that? (laughs) So uh, one of the problems with painkillers is that the body metabolizes and the body changes the medication, the drug, into different chemicals. Some of these chemicals that it changes into before it gets excreted from the body, some of these chemicals are active, that is, will also relieve pain, but some of them are inactive. Many of them are inactive. Probably over 80% of the metabolites are inactive. And these metabolites can sit on the receptor and block an active metabolite from working. Rotating the opiate can allow time for these inactive metabolites that have built up to be excreted and uh, a new set of metabolites to... uh, to build up, but still it does give you a, a, a break on the situation. Now, in relation to the prescribing of these medications, these strong painkillers, I'm sure that the majority of the time it's the GP who has initiated these medications. And for us, it would be useful to have a clear idea of what are the criteria for offering opioid medications. Well, this is an excellent question, Rory. I think that if we're dealing with a patient who has acute pain, then I think we should be explaining to the patient before we introduce painkillers that these will help acute pain, but if the pain becomes chronic, they may not help. So I think it's really important to get in early and make that point. Once the pain becomes chronic, we can still use opiates. But they should be, if this is the first time you've seen them, that patient, introduced for a time-limited period with a specific goal of improving some function or other. And uh, so it's about setting functional goals, as I said before. And if you are going to introduce an opiate with a functional goal, and that functional goal has some physical component to it, apart, anything apart from sleep really, might be a psychological component, that should be associated with a chronic pain service. So, for instance, if someone has pain associated with arthritis, you may give somebody a painkiller with a goal of being able to participate in an exercise program to improve their muscle function, and that introduction of that opiate would be for a time-limited period. So they need to get into that exercise program. The thing about muscles, it's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, I don't know whether anyone's ever slept in. And if you sleep in, you sort of get out of bed and you think, oh, a bit stiff, a bit sore in the back, you know, and that's only from not moving around for an hour or two, uh, an hour or two more. I mean, as we get older, so, I mean, I get out of bed and I look like I'm 93 and I'm only a bit less than 93. <laughs> so muscles cramping is a natural response of the body 
to protect an injury. So if you break an arm, for instance, the muscles around that fracture will cramp, and that's an effort to splint that injury so that you can get away. Okay, it's a, it's a fight and flight response. So it's a natural thing. If the body thinks there's an injury there, the muscles around it will cramp. So if the pain is muscle-related, and many, many pains are, not all, not all, but many chronic pains are associated with muscle spasm, then trying to move those muscles is a great way of relieving the pain. I'm getting the impression, actually, that the GP has a really big role in communication here, uh-huh. <laughs> particularly communicating expectations. Uh, and uh, one of the things that is raised in this conversation is the dangers of using opioid medications in the longer term. Are they ever suitable for longer term treatments or should we really be trying to stop these medications as soon as possible? Well, there are multiple dangers associated with uh, using strong painkillers over a long period of time. Some of these include things like addiction, overdose, either intentional or unintentional. In fact, in Australia now, most deaths due to opioid medications are prescribed opioids rather than uh, illicit opiates. And uh, they're unintentional overdoses, not intentional overdoses. The major cause of death, opioid-related death in Australia, is unintentional overdose. can also cause personality changes, drug diversion, just to mention a few things. Evidence shows that uh, strong painkillers become less effective over time and can, in fact, increase pain, uh, what we, the, we, something we call opioid-induced hyperalgesia, where the patient can then experience pain with only minor trauma or even light touch. Now, I suspect I know the answer to my next question. Can pain be cured? Well, the short answer is no. However, having said that, there is a lot we can do to help people to enjoy their life again. It's hard work for them, but rewarding in the end. So, Dr. Noel, when is the role of surgery necessary in your opinion? Surgery is usually reserved for uh, people who have specific surgically fixable conditions. Many people who undergo surgery um, for things like back pain end up no better after the surgery than they were before the surgery. And isn't it interesting that Alex's example was just a one patient that had that experience. So a person with back pain and sciatica, which is a pain going down their leg, may benefit from surgery on their back to release the pressure on the sciatic nerve, especially for the sciatica part of the problem. However, the back pain part of the problem may not respond to that operation. Uh, Thank you for explaining that. Now, for both of you, Alex, Michael, in both of your opinions, Why is collaboration amongst health professionals so important when we're managing our patients' chronic pain? Uh, Well, I might go first on that. (laughs) Sorry, Alex. (laughs) Um, Chronic pain is a complex beast with multiple contributors, as we've tried to explain. Evidence shows that the best results come from patient participation plus the help of a multidisciplinary team consisting of medical, nursing, physiotherapy, occupational therapy, social work, clinical psychology, and occasionally psychiatry. 
Medications play only a relatively minor role in comparison to the rest of the treatments we use. And Alex, would you like to add to that? Yeah, I mean, firstly, I'd like to say I totally agree. (laughs) And that's most of my thunder, which you're (laughs) welcome to have. (laughs) But all I could probably offer is, I guess, especially for myself, one of the key conceptual changes to me understanding the differences between acute pain and persisting pain or, or chronic pain it's that you need more than just a physio because like I've we've been talking about the the problem or 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 some of the things that contribute to the persisting pain are more than just the injury itself so i mean for example um, have you ever been waiting in the the wings of a uh, stage before you've gone on to speak or perform and you you notice how your heart rate has come up and you notice that you might get a little bit sweaty in the palms. Have you ever been nervous and and seen a physical manifestation of that nervousness in your body? Well, that's kind of to say that something you're worried about, something you're thinking about is actually causing a change in your body. And it happens for us all the time or every day. Goodness, I'm going to start to sound like more of a psychologist than a physiotherapist if I keep this up. But I think it's really important because, um, and myself included, we're all really good at looking at the physical problem or the x-rays or, like I said before, what's what's actually the injury that's been done. But we haven't been so good as calling the other people into help, like the psychologists, like the social workers, um, to look at the other aspects. So going back to my example thinking something actually has a a biological change that can happen inside your body like if you're worried about something and you're in the context of of about to being going up and to perform something you can have you know beaded sweat in your palms you can have you can feel like that fluttery feeling and it's the same thing with persisting pain in different elements like we said, the way you think and believe or or the way you move or, for example, of thinking certain things can have a physical change in your brain and which can then flow on and affect your body and, and can contribute to that persisting pain. So if we're going to treat it, if we're going to help you manage it better, we need more than just the physio. We need more than just the specialist or, or more than just the GP to manage it. We need the whole team together. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, I think this has been a really valuable discussion, particularly from my perspective. Uh, it actually really makes me feel quite relieved that um, when my own measures don't necessarily help someone achieve what they're looking for, that there are a whole lot of other people out there who will be able to help my patients uh, to achieve a, a better quality of life. And um, what a relief that is. I think that we have been able to achieve more clarity uh, today regarding the framework for managing chronic pain. A team-based approach is obviously very important to helping someone to live with chronic pain. And how fortunate are we in the, in the Hawkesbury region to actually have access uh, to a chronic pain clinic with a multidisciplinary approach? Uh, that's great. Perhaps uh, from each of you, whether or not there's just one final thought uh, that you would like to leave with our listeners today. Alex? Yeah, I guess like Dr. Noah said before, you know, we can't necessarily cure the pain, but you most certainly can be offered hope to live a better, more happier, more fulfilling life uh, despite it. And Dr. Michael Noel? Uh, the biopsychosocial model of suffering, physical, psychological, social, and existential. If you can improve one area of suffering, you improve all areas of suffering.
So thank you again, uh, particularly to our listeners, uh, which will include both people suffering from chronic pain and also GPs. So if you are a GP who wants to know more about the program, please contact the uh, Chronic Pain Clinic at Hawkesbury District Health Service. There should be some information that will be available on the Hawkesbury District Health Service website. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Healthy Hawkesbury. If you'd like to learn more about our hospital, doctors and services, please head to sjog.org.au forward slash Hawkesbury or subscribe to Healthy Hawkesbury on your favourite podcast app.